Well, the soap opera is underway, folks. The dog and pony show, the circus is open again. And I'm talking, of course, about the January 6th, this phony commission to investigate the root causes of the January 6th insurrection to determine the root causes or whatever. And, I, you know, I, 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 I didn't intend to come back behind this microphone today, actually. I just released an episode, but I could not resist. I could not help myself from commenting on this joke. But before you get too down about things, because this is absolutely... Well, this is what they do in communist regimes. This is what happened in Nazi Germany, and it's happening in America. So that part's real. That's very serious. But Democrats aren't even watching the news anymore. They've turned it off. They're not getting any of, of viewers. I mean, look, the reality, too, is Democrats, the Democrat voter, the indoctrinated, they already believe January 6th insurrection anyway. They're not watching any of this theater, this theatrics. But I've never seen so many grown men cry in a room in my life. And this is actually tells you where we are as a country in so many ways. These people are not men. They are castrated. There's no masculinity in here. These are a bunch of pathetic, weak, wimpy Capitol Police officers. And I'm not attacking all Capitol Police officers. But a police officer risks his or her life every day. That is part of the job. In Los Angeles, in San Francisco, in Detroit, all throughout this country, in Dallas, Texas, they have been murdered in shootings that took place in Dallas, for example, not too long ago. And you don't put together something like this to determine the root causes of those assassinations. Nobody died on January 6th except Ashley Babbitt, an unarmed female Air Force veteran. She was shot by a Capitol Police officer. That's the only death of unnatural causes. And you've got to, you've got, give me a joke. These grown men, these Capitol Police officers, and I'm going to play some of these clips. I don't usually play lies, but I'm going to have to play lies for the sake of this episode. But these men are in there crying about how scared they were for their lives. Well, police officers in the big cities in this country, like Chicago, risk their lives every day. And they don't run to the microphones. They don't look for journalists and reporters to come and ask them about how, how tough their day was, how dangerous it was. That is their sense of duty and obligation. And these people, these pathetic, wimpy Capitol Police officers, these P-U-S-S-I-E-S's, yeah, I said it, that's what they are. I'll call them pansies. How about that? These pansies, these sad excuses for men. These people that I wouldn't want defending me anyway because they're so pathetic and weak. No masculinity whatsoever. I've never seen so much estrogen coming from grown men in my lives. There's no testosterone in their bodies. But anyway, these people, grandstanding, and of course, when you look into it, many of these people testifying are on the record on their Twitter accounts, for example, attacking Donald Trump when he was president, calling him the you know, racist commander-in-chief and so on and so forth. These people are political hacks. This is the problem. These woke, woke activists. You know, you're supposed to be um, objective when you're a police officer, equal justice. 
You know, you're supposed to put your politics aside, but this is purely political. And the Capitol Police forces and many other of our institutions that, well, for the sake of safety, for the sake of doing their jobs and executing their jobs in a successful manner, well, they need to put their politics aside. But these people are purely political, political hacks. And this is what is everywhere. This is what we have in America today. But let me play you the first clip of an individual, one of these Capitol Police officers, speaking about his experience that day. This is a P-U-S-S-Y number one. I've been on medical and administrative leave for much of my pe- of the past six months. And I expect to need further rehabilitation for possibly more than a year. What a hero, right? The words of a hero. I've never heard more heroic words and, well, had the... Uh, The good fortune to watch on TV a more heroic individual. Never before in my life have I seen a more heroic individual. I I hurt my my shoulder. I hurt my shoulder. I'm going to have to be in rehab for a year. (laughs) It's so terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You call me what you want in terms of being mean. But nothing, nothing can be meaner. Nothing can be... I mean, I mean, there's nothing I can do here that's worse than what's happening in terms of these people. And they need to be ridiculed because these people are a joke. This guy was handpicked. I, I want to point something out, too, and I don't care. You know, I'm beyond niceties at this point. If you listen to this guy, this guy can barely, barely enunciate. I don't mean to be mean. I really don't. But just as a matter of observation, this is not a very educated individual. He doesn't speak English very well. He isn't articulate. The guy can barely read. So there's no way in H-E double hockey sticks this guy wrote this himself. This was written for him, and that's the case for all these guys. Because you'll hear them hit the talking points that have already been in the media, right? They want to touch on racism. They want to touch on the lie that this was the worst event ever, that this was a threat against democracy, that this can't happen again. Everything that's already out there, these people are just reaffirming. These are spokespeople. They're they're just vessels. Vessels uh, uh, sitting there with dead brains who are reading what was put in front of them, put together for them, some more eloquently than others, but they're just serving a purpose. And the purpose, of course, which is ironic in all of this, right? The purpose of all of this in the select committee is to destroy democracy. So there they are, puffing their chests up, whining, complaining, talking about how scary it was that day, saying exactly what the Democrat Party and the media needs them to say, for talking points, to play on clips ad nauseum for the next year. And the purpose of doing that is to destroy our democracy. To paint Trump, his supporters, everyone who's not a Democrat, as political terrorists. To to somehow justify what the Democrat Party is doing to destroy democracy. To silence their voices of opposition because, well, they're building this fake narrative that, well, we have to be investigated. We have to be monitored, monitored by the FBI. Our bank accounts have to, be, have to be watched. Our information can no longer be private because we might be up to no good. Do you understand how sick this is? They are making an accusation against an entire group of people based on something that never happened as justification to destroy their political opposition in perpetuity 
so that they can destroy our democracy and reign in power forever. This is what's so rich about all this. But let's play another guy. Ready for this? Here, here's, an, here's another blowhard. We as a country will confront the truth of what happened on January 6th and do what is necessary to make sure this institution of our democracy never falls into the hands of a violent and angry mob. Oh, is he talking about um, the Derek Chauvin trial? When uh, Maxine Waters went down there and said, if we don't get the result that we demand, we're going to take to the streets? When she sought to incite a BLM mob to violence, if they didn't get mob justice? No, he's not talking about that. He's talking about January 6th. Is he talking about, is he talking about the, the riots, the, the two weeks, 14 days of riots after George Floyd passed away in which 19 American citizens lost their lives in those protests? Oh, no, no, he's talking about the January 6th insurrection in which only one person died, and that was Ashley Babbitt. Uh, is he talking about the January 20th insurrection of 2017 in which six police officers were injured and had to go to the hospital because a mob of angry Hillary Clinton supporters descended upon the streets of Washington, D.C. to protest against Donald Trump's election on his inauguration day? Oh, no, no, he's not talking about that angry mob. Oh, no, just this angry mob is the only one that matters in history. This is it, folks. January 6th, the worst attack, well, ever, but it's worse than September 11th, right? So you just heard from P-U-S-S-Y number two. Now let's go to P-U-S-S-Y number three. Let's hear what he has to say because it is very, very important that you hang on to these words and remember what I'm saying here today at this moment. A man in a QAnon hoodie exclaims, this is the time to choose which side of history to be on. A man whose shirt read, God, guns, and Trump stood behind him, silently holding a Trump flag. Well, there you have it. Now, I don't know the exact number of people who were involved in the quote-unquote insurrection, but it was, you know, several hundred. And this guy's pointing to one person in a QAnon hoodie, a person holding a Trump flag, and one individual who had the, whatever, the shirt that said, guns, Trump, and God. So you see, guns, Trump, and God are the problem. People who cling to their guns, people who are Trump supporters. And just, just remember, too, these individuals that he's even referring to, we don't know if they were even in the Capitol. There were people that were simply outside, they were in this crowd, they had nothing to do with it. Okay, they're not part of the collateral damage these people are talking about. But the point is, these people have to make it seem that this was all pro-Trump people. These were all, you know, QAnon, Trump, guns, God, religion, you know, the, the middle America. You know, we are the problem. Trump supporters are the problem. All, well, 75 plus million of us, right? We are the problem. And that's where this is headed. And that's why he's saying that. But I would remind my audience and these stupid pansies, you know, the way they're conducting themselves, well, obviously it's like totalitarians and tyrants. And they're sick and perverted. But I want to bring up Steve Scalise again. Because a Bernie Sanders supporter who was incited to violence by the words of the Democrat Party, which is what they're doing now, right? They're basically now... Well, they're equating an entire swath of the population as terrorists. They're making people hate Trump supporters and making us look like we are threatening democracy. And what's going to come of that? Violence. 
So back to Steve Scalise. Scalise and, and the other House Republicans were practicing baseball for a charity event outside of Washington, D.C. And a man, of course, walked up to then uh, Congressman um, DeSantis and asked if everyone practicing baseball, if they were Democrats or Republicans. And they said Republicans. This man went to his car, he grabbed a gun, and he opened fire on the congressional Republicans on that baseball field. Steve Scalise was struck and nearly died. This is what happens because of the rhetoric of the Democrat Party. Not because of Trump, not because of us. The truth is, Democrats incite violence all the time. BLM and Antifa are not Trump supporters. They've been in the streets wreaking havoc, killing people, murdering people, beating people to death in the streets. They've been lighting businesses on fire, looting throughout this country in the name of social justice. And here they are, lying through their teeth in a dangerous display that sets a precedent that other people like this Bernie Sanders supporter who opened fire on Scalise and the Republicans, well, they're now going to be emboldened to take action because they're saying that we are the danger to the democracy. These are not the words of unity. This is so irresponsible. And this is how bad the situation is with the Democrat Party. That's why we have to defeat them absolutely. There can be no concession whatsoever, but the Republicans don't get it. You've got Adam Kinzinger, a Republican who's on this committee, of course, handpicked because, well, he doesn't care about America. He hates America as well. As long as he gets to go on CNN and his star rises and he gets invited to play golf with, I don't know, some of these Democrats and he gets welcomed into the Washington establishment and the club, the swamp, well, he's happy to burn America down as well. Let's hear what this guy had to say. Here's another uh, um, example of, well, he, he's not a man. He's full of estrogen. You know, what's the, what's, what's it? Caitlyn Jenner has more testosterone than this guy. I think it's important to tell you right now, though. You guys may, like, individually feel a little broken. You guys all talk about the effects you have to deal with. And, you know, you talk about the impact of that day. But you guys won. You guys held. <laughs> you guys won. <laughs> you guys held. Well, obviously, it didn't hold because they didn't have reinforcements. Uh, they didn't hold because people entered the Capitol. They also didn't hold because um, Capitol Police officers opened the doors to the Capitol building and allowed them in. Here's where we're going to go with this. Because uh, it's important that we just speak the truth. And we don't worry about pushback or being called a conspiracy theorist. The um, American government was involved on that day. No doubt in my mind. 100%. Uh, I'm not going to play the testimony because I'm tired of listening to these, these, these morons, these reprobates. But um, in the testimony, that first individual who can barely read, can barely speak English properly, I should say. Uh, well, he, he remarks about how you know, when they had BLM protests, they had backup, adequate backup uh, on that day. But they didn't have enough. Uh, they didn't have reinforcements on January 6th. Well, of course, the media won't look at that. That's, that's something that should be picked apart and investigated. That's what the investigation should be about, not the root causes, because they already know the root causes. They've already said what the root causes are. So this guy's saying, well, we didn't have support. Why didn't you have support? Nancy Pelosi, Mitch McConnell, they were warned ahead of time because, you know, there were Facebook groups that were saying we're coming to the Capitol. They knew how many people were going to be there. 
You know, on Donald Trump's inauguration day, they were ready. They knew that thousands of angry, a mob, that a mob of angry Hillary Clinton supporters in the thousands were going to show up. And so they had police everywhere on those streets. And still, and still violence ensued. Still cars were lit on fire. But they didn't get close to the president. They didn't get close to the White House. They didn't get that close to any of it because they were prepared. Well, they had the same warnings. They knew people were coming into town. So why didn't they have enforcements that day? Why would you have just a few Capitol Police officers when you know there's going to be tens of thousands of people rallying in the Capitol? That's just stupid. That doesn't happen. So that in itself is a piece of incriminating evidence. And this is why I bring up the Reichstag fire, and you've heard me talk about it again. That is the, the singular titular event that happened prior to the Nazi seizure of power. It happened in 1933. I believe it was in January. It doesn't matter. It was 1933. And... Um, the parliament building was lit on fire, was set on fire, which was called the Reichstag, all right? Well, one individual who was a Dutch guy um, who, who was a, a supposed communist sympathizer, well, allegedly, he testified to the police in Germany that he did it. Well, of course, many believe that he was set up and whether that's true or not, this one individual's actions of setting the parliament building on fire, those were the actions of one individual. They're not representative of the entire Communist Party in, Nazi Ger in Germany at that time. But the Nazis did exactly what the Democrat Party is doing with this event. They're taking a one-off event that whether it was staged, whether it was assisted, or whether it did indeed happen organically, well, I'm not condemned because of these people's actions. Trump is not condemned because of these actions. And neither was the Communist Party based on this one individual's arson attempt at the Reichstag. And yet the, the Nazi Party, who was competing with the Communists for power, the Communist Party stood in their way of having a majority in Parliament. Well, after that Reichstag fire... They went and they immediately accused the Communist Party of plotting future attacks, future insurrections. It was a baseless lie. And this is the same thing. Just because these people did what they did, and it's being blown out of proportion, absolutely, when we've, I've already talked about BLM and Antifa and the, the Hillary Clinton people and everything else, it's being blown out of proportion, out of context, no perspective whatsoever, well, that doesn't incriminate Trump, me, you, and everyone else. This is absolutely disgusting. And that's why I'm telling you, we have to call these people out. This is what the Nazis did. These people are not beneath the Nazis. These people are the same ilk, totalitarians, to behave in this manner. All right, so I'm calling them out, and you've got to sear that in your minds too, because that's what this is. The enemy is that bad in this country. All right? And you can't predict what comes afterwards, but then it's too late. So we can't let them win this battle. We can't cede them any ground. This is an absolute farce. And the media, too, today in America is no different than, well, the propagandist media led by Goebbels in Nazi Germany. They worked in tandem to create narratives and lie to the American people. They worked in tandem 
to, to, well, shape the way the public perceived events and what was happening. And uh, I'm going to go backwards here. I'll get into why I'm hesitant for, for a moment here in a second about this one. But uh, I'm going to play NBC Nightly News last night, okay? This is the night before today in which the testimony actually took place that you just heard, right? So this is how they, well, just listen for yourself. Morris Garrett, what will we see tomorrow? Lester, we will see committee members question these four police officers who battled with rioters here at the Capitol. They will hear about what those officers saw and what they felt, and in many cases about the injuries that those officers still carry. We'll see one new member on the committee tomorrow. Republican Adam Kinzinger was tapped by Speaker Pelosi over the weekend to join the seven Democrats and one other Republican, Liz Cheney, on the panel. Today, the Republican leader, Kevin McCarthy, mocked those two Republicans for taking these invites from Speaker Pelosi, calling them Pelosi Republicans, but Cheney and Kinzinger dismissed the name calling as childish and said they're ready to get to work. Lester? All right, Garrett Haig, thank you. This isn't journalism. This is NBC Nightly News with Lester Holtz simply telling their audience what the Democrats are going to do, what the Democrats tell them to expect the next day. So obviously, they already know what the testimony is going to be. They've got the documents. They're already written out. They give them to NBC News. And then NBC News says, well, tomorrow, get ready. You're going to hear, they just summarize it. You're going to hear these Capitol Police officers talk about how dangerous it was that day, how scary scary it was. And uh, you've got Kinzinger and Liz Cheney sitting on the committee. And uh, they're being called yeah, childish. And, uh, well, Kinzinger and, and, and what's-her-face, uh, Wyoming, she's, um, you know, they're not having it. They're saying it's not true. They're, whatever. But the point is, there is no active journalism here. There's no back and forth. There's no discussion about the merits of that day. It's simply, tomorrow, this is what's going to happen on that day. And this is what you're going to hear about these people. There's no questioning both sides. And of course, we know that Lester Holt took an, accepted an award not too long ago when she said, well, I don't have an obligation to talk about both sides of a story because one side of the story is not true. Really? Well, the one side of the story that's not true is the true side. They are engaged in in a work of lies. And that's what we have. We have the Democrat Party is the party of lies, and we have the Democrat uh, uh, media, which is, you know, their, 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 you know, mouthpieces, their megaphone for those lies. It's unbelievable to me. And I, 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 I actually, I, you know, I spent a lot of time with Lester Holt. I don't even know if I should talk about this right now, but I'm going to talk about it because I'm just frustrated and tired of this crap. You know, when I, when I moved to New York City about a little over a decade ago, um, well, I used to email Lester Holt. He was doing the, the Weekend Today show back then. And, you know, I was a struggling actor. And it just felt nice to be, be around somebody who was successful and who was a good person, by the way. Lester Holtz is a very good and decent person. And so I'd email Lester. And, um, you know, I, on the weekends, sometimes, every now and again, he would invite me to the Weekend Today show. I would sit there in the studio while they taped live. And then, of course, you know, they always did their kind of, you know, famous trip 
from inside the studio out into the plaza there where people held up the signs in one of their, you know, two seconds of fame on camera. They were visitors, tourists. And I'd spend the whole morning hanging out there, and it was really, really cool. And Lester allowed me to do that. He invited me to do that, to spend time in the studio, having that kind of access. And he's not my dad. He's not my uncle. He's not a blood, blood kin. But so kind and generous was Lester that he would do that for me. And we'd have breakfast, perhaps, or then, you know, I had countless dinners with him. So anyway, the point is, this isn't a, a personal attack against him. But I guess my, my broader point is the issue here is just like Kinzinger or Liz Cheney. I mean, I don't know if they're decent people. I can't speak to their morality. Liz Cheney, I don't have any respect for. I don't really know anything about Kinzinger. I mean, I can judge him based on what he's doing here, that it's awful and atrocious. And that by virtue of him participating in this lie that's so dangerous to American democracy... Well, by virtue of participating, he's not a good person. He's an amoral individual. But I spent countless occasions having dinner with Lester and his wife. I can attest to his morality and what a good individual he is. But I, I, I like any of you, I am very frustrated with, with what has happened with Lester Holt. And I come at it from a different angle, of course. Because I actually, I know him on a personal level. I haven't talked to him in a number of years. But I, res I respect him. I I've, I've been in his presence. I've had conversations with him. And I'm telling you, he's a good and decent person. But good and decent people, well, they're subject to this garbage like anyone else. NBC is a propagandist machine. And if you work there, you don't have a choice. And this is what happens, I think, with people, Republicans who go to Washington, D.C. Maybe they start out good and decent. But then they are surrounded, inundated by one side, by pressure from the left. And when you surround yourself by people like that and you're in, in, in an environment like that, well, you end up not doing what's right, not standing up for the truth. And because NBC by virtue of it being a propagandist machine, you don't have journalists there. And so if you're going to work at NBC and you're going to keep your job at NBC, well, you can't do what Tucker Carlson does. There's no place for you there. And furthermore, just like the swamp, you know, it's like living in D.C., living in New York City, walking into the, the Rockefeller Center every day. Everyone around you is a leftist. Everyone feeding you your reporting is a leftist. And, and you know, the, these, these nightly news shows, you know, Tucker Carlson is, is rare, all right? Yeah, he, he, he and Sean Hannity, for example, they engage in far more journalism than these individuals, even though they come out and, and they, they don't make any bones about being conservative and being biased. But they actually ask questions. They dig into things. They report they formulate their own thoughts. But these people are just spokespeople. I mean, if you don't understand the news industry, the way it works, essentially, I'm not saying these people don't use their brains at all and aren't involved at all. But essentially, you have a producer of these shows and you have people putting together the teleprompter material. And you aren't speaking off the cuff like Hannity does. 
All right, I know Tucker and Hannity, you know, read a teleprompter too when they're doing some of their monologues and things like that. That, but they're they're they're. I mean, it's a different game. And of course, you know, Hannity has a radio show. You know where he stands because he talks off the cuff for three hours or two, whatever it is, his radio show every day. So when he goes on the air, it's consistent. No one's writing his radio show for him. That's just him. And it carries over to his show. But Lester doesn't have a program like that. He, he, he continues to work for NBC and put himself forward as this, you know, journalist. And he's got the look. He's got the voice. He's got the demeanor. But he only reports one side. That is not journalism. And it just kills me to listen to this happen. And I don't talk about it because I have a personal connection. And I respect him as a human being. But for the life of me, it drives me insane to watch this take place. I mean, journalists, I mean, I I don't understand how these people don't understand the danger of this. They're just willing to go along, whether it's to protect their jobs or whether they actually believe it. They're not encountering contrary views. They feel like they are, you know, it's like, it's ego, you know? As our side, Tuckers, Hannity's, people like that get painted as these these radical right-wingers. Well, these people feel like, you know, they're somehow superior, you know? They shroud themselves in morality. You know, they are the real journalists. But they're not journalists at all. They're hacks, all of them. And this is so frustrating to me. It's so... I mean, it's, a, it's scripted. It's just like a TV show or a movie. There's a narrative they're trying to tell. And they only appeal to one side. I mean, they only bring in four selected police officers to talk about the things that they want them to talk about, to say the things they need them to say so that they can continue this lie. I'm so sick of it. And that's exactly what's happened with COVID, by the way. The reporting on that's the same. I mean, the Democrat Party is running the show. There are two worlds. There's, there's the Democrat reality that is echoed by Lester Holt and NBC News and CNN and all the rest. And then there's actually what's really happening in the real world. And unfortunately, the people that need to hear the truth the most are the people on the left that are watching NBC and CNN. Even though they're not really watching it all anymore. But I mean... You know, there could, Lester Holt or one of these people could be an American hero if they would stand up and actually start to change their tune in terms of what they say to their audience. If they would start to t- speak some common sense. I mean, why can't Lester, why can't you get on there and talk about the things that I'm talking about? Do it in your way, not as passionate as me, so you can still be a real journalist with your awesome voice, your awesome appearance, everything you have going for you that's gotten you to your position right now at the top of the the food chain in terms of anchoring, why can't you just do a program and say, hey, you know, I I think this January 6th insurrection, you know, there's two sides to this. You know, we had the same thing happen on January 20th and 2017, but the media response was different. These people won't ask themselves what part they're playing in destroying this country and lying to the nation. And I think some of them know exactly what they're up to. Your Rachel Maddow's and so on and so forth. Your Don Lemons, your Joy Reeds, your Brian Stelter potato heads. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, some of them might be more savvy than others. 
In Lester's case, I mean, he takes his job very seriously. He's very proud of what he does. He sees himself as a journalist, and he has been a long time, but he's not anymore. And I just wish some of these people would actually take a moment to look in the mirror, do some inward introspection, look at history, and understand what part they're playing on being on the wrong side of history. But of course, that's probably too much to ask. You know, I don't think they're willing to challenge their own ideas, and that's a problem. They're not confronted with any of it. You know, my unique thing that I talk about on this show, which is why I hope people tune in to me, is because I'm 34. Obviously, you know, I'm a different demographic. Some say I'm a fresh, bold voice for conservatism. Whatever. That's what they say. You make up your mind if it's fresh and bold or if it's just angry. Right now, I'm kind of angry. But, you know, I, 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 I lived in Italy for a cumulative total of nearly five years. I speak Italian. I lived in a socialist country. I worked in fashion, which was, I was surrounded by liberals. I went to an elitist all-male college preparatory school in Dallas, surrounded by liberals. I worked in Hollywood as an actor and a producer. Guess what? I was surrounded by liberals then. And so the difference for me is, I've always been a conservative, but, but I've always been surrounded by the ideas and the philosophy of the left. And so I've always challenged myself. I've always had to defend myself. I've always had to study and research these issues because, well, I'm surrounded by people who are always attacking me and disagreeing with me, who are saying things, and I say, I don't know about that. And so I'm actually studied on these things. I actually have conviction about my beliefs. I actually do understand the other side and consider it. But I also have a rational, free-thinking mind and I'm not loyal to any one agenda. I'm loyal to the truth. I'm loyal to America. I love this country, and that's why I sit here and talk. That's the difference. These people live in fantasy land. I mean, the night of the insurrection, folks, the night of the insurrection, as it was happening, every anchor from Lester Holt to the rest were covering it in real time, saying the exact same things they're saying today. How could it be that that, that script was predetermined? I mean, that's not a coincidence. It is not possible that as that event happens, it gets national attention immediately like it does, and everyone is ready to say the same thing. A Trump insurrection. Insurrectionists. An angry mob of, of Trump supporters. When on January 20th, I mean, I played it. I'm not going to do it again on the show, but you can go back and look up the footage and the coverage. That wasn't even covered on, national, on a national scale. It was just a passing thought. It was reported like, well, you know, things got out of hand here on, the, on um, you know, Inauguration Day. Protests are happening around the world. But they didn't condemn those people. They didn't call them an angry mob. They didn't spin this narrative. They didn't condemn Hillary Clinton when she came out. Even two years after Trump was already in office and said he stole the election. He's not the legitimate president. They didn't talk about how dangerous that was. And that's the thing. That's what I'm saying. The media is a problem. All right, I'm actually going to take one short break. I'm going to come back. We're going to hit COVID because we got to hit COVID. I'm writing an article about it as well because, um, I mean, that, that's another severe issue of our time. You know, in terms of, of, of immediacy, you've got January 6th and you've got COVID. And those are the weapons of the left right now, the, the main weapons of the left to destroy the nation. 
All right, this is Drew Allen. I'll be right back. Now, stay with me here. I actually want to go back in time, all right, to the 1960s, actually. I want to go to Walter Cronkite, all right? Walter Cronkite is, hold on. Okay, I got my clip queued up. Pardon me there, folks. But anyway, I bring up Walter Cronkite. Why? 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 Because until 1968, Walter Walter Cronkite believed the lies of the American government that told us, the American people, that we were winning the Vietnam War. That's what they said time and time again. Yeah, the war is going great. We're winning the war. Walter Cronkite was one of those journalists who went along with it. And then he went to Vietnam himself to observe what was happening. Were we winning? Were we not? Well, and he discovered that we weren't winning the war. He saw with his own eyes that the government was lying to us. And Walter Cronkite came back from his trip to Vietnam. He went on the air and he gave this speech. Okay, here we go. For it seems now more certain than ever that the bloody experience of Vietnam is to end in a stalemate. To say that we are closer to victory today is to believe in the face of the evidence the optimists who have been wrong in the past. And the American people, of course, trusted Walter Cronkite. So when he came and made that a mission, which was no small thing to do, bucking Washington, D.C., which operated a lot back then like it does today, well, he changed the perspective of the American people. He changed the way they viewed the Vietnam War. But we don't have journalists like Walter Cronkite today. But, you know, this is somebody to be admired, Lester Holt. This is somebody to look to as someone to live up to. Obviously, he worked at CBS, not NBC, but this is what we need. We need our Walter Cronkite. I mean, look, we've got Tucker Carlson, we've got Sean Hannity, but they don't carry any weight with the left. But someone in one of these, I don't know why they're still esteemed, why people consider you real journalists over at NBC and CNN and the rest, you're not. But the point is, to be realistic, the left still views you that way. They view you as the reliable journalist. And so Lester Holt could be our Walter Cronkite. He could be the one to emerge as the truth-sayer, the one who changes the perspective of the American people, the one who does the right thing, asks the hard questions, and is willing to do what's right, not what he's told. And so I want to get into this COVID thing by playing an interview that proves that, unfortunately, Lester has a long way to go to becoming Walter Cronkite still. But this is his softball interview with Dr. Fauci. All right, let's play it, and then I'll talk about it. Dr. Fauci, let me begin with what we know now about vaccinated people. Can you tell me what you have learned that was not understood before? What was not really as well understood is the capability of this uh, Delta variant to transmit so readily uh, among people that vaccinated people who get breakthrough infections can actually transmit their virus to others. It's something that happens rarely. It's not a common event. But since it does, that has triggered a change in the guidelines for wearing masks by vaccinated people. Even if you're vaccinated, if you live in an area that has a substantial and high degree of transmissibility, the recommendation is that 
people who are vaccinated when they are in an indoor setting that they should wear a mask. Now, let's just stop there for a second. So a couple of, well, follow-up questions you might expect to be asked from a journalist. There you have Fauci saying, well, we didn't know how transmissible the Delta variant is. We didn't know that the vaccinated could contract the Delta variant and then pass it on. And so here we are living in this world in which we're being told the unvaccinated are the problem and that we need to get vaccinated. You've got Joe Biden essentially saying, I didn't know you people were so stupid that haven't been vaccinated. And here you have Fauci repeating and making our point. What's the point of getting the vaccine? He's saying, well, you need to wear a mask if you're vaccinated, especially in closed indoor areas, because you can still get the Delta variant. You can still transmit the Delta variant. So maybe, you know, Lester, you could ask, I understand, I hear what you're saying, that you might not have understood about the Delta variant, but don't you, doesn't it seem like this kind of information, what you're saying right now, might deter people from getting the vaccine? What would you say to those individuals who are hearing you, like I'm hearing you now, say that those vaccinated could get the Delta variant and transmit the Delta variant? What would you say to them in terms of, of, of painting a benefit of getting the vaccine at this point. But of course, he doesn't ask that. Here's what, here's what Lester Holt says next. How do you determine what is a high-risk setting and who should be wearing masks? There are a number of, of parameters of that, but the CDC has a color code. So if you're in the red or the orange zone of a particular location, that is considered substantial and high degree of transmissibility at the community level. Doctor, this information that vaccinated people can potentially spread this, does this rock you? Does this begin to rattle your view of where we are uh, with this, this virus? You know, Lester, honestly, it doesn't. I mean, you have to keep up with what the virus is doing. We would not be in this position of having this discussion if we had the overwhelming majority of the people in this country vaccinated. We still have 100 million people who are eligible for vaccines. I just remarked on the last podcast episode, episode 22, this is episode 23. I just brought to your attention, me, the layman, who's not an esteemed epidemiologist or a journalist, the study the readily available information out of Iceland in which nearly 70% of their population has been vaccinated, and yet they are now at 85% of infections of their highest point, which took place in October of last year. So October of 2020, they had their highest infection rate, daily infection rate, and now that nearly 70% of Iceland is vaccinated, they're now almost back to where they were in October. That would be a nice piece of information to put out there for Fauci to address as well, since he seems to be saying that the unvaccinated are still the problem. Well, what about these places that are almost completely vaccinated, like you are saying we need to be, and yet they're at their highest point? It's like it's October of 2020, Fauci. How do you answer that? That doesn't happen as well. Let's just continue with the interview, and then I'll finish up with this nonsense who are not getting vaccinated. If you don't give the virus the opportunity to spread, to replicate, you're not gonna see this kind of an issue. All right, Dr. Fauci, always good to talk to you. Thank you for making time for us today. We do appreciate it. 
Now, of course, Lester doesn't ask him to clarify, to give any kind of scientific evidence. He just gives him the floor. And look, he is talking to a man who has been proven to be a liar. This is a guy who sent emails to, in private to people that said contrary things to what he was saying in public. This is a man who lied in Congress, who said that he did not fund any gain-of-function research, and then there's a video of him, and I believe it's 2018, announcing that he is funding, the NIH is funding gain-of-function research, and then now he backpedals and says, you know, essentially, well, they're changing the definition of gain-of-function research so that I didn't allow gain-of-function research. This guy, I mean, people are calling for this guy to be in prison, and he sits there with Lester Holt amidst all this garbage that's happening. I mean, you know, Walter Cronkite could have said, well, gee, you know, despite our best efforts with the vaccine, cases are going up. It doesn't seem like we're winning this war. If anything, it's a stalemate. Uh, what do you say about that, Fauci? I mean, he could point out what I'm pointing out and many other people are pointing out, which is, you know, it's starting to seem a lot like this is never going to end, Dr. Fauci. If there is a 100% vaccination rate and... Cases continue to rise. Will you still consider lockdowns? What if this thing continues to mutate? What will the guidelines be going forward then? Oh, and also, Fauci, the CDC is recommending that anyone, basically from two years old to whatever, 18 years old or something like that, 12 to 18, whatever, kids who have a statistical 0% chance of dying from the virus and a near 0% uh, ability to transmit uh, the virus, Dr. Fauci, why are these children who are not vulnerable, who don't transmit it, why is the CDC recommending that they wear masks? Doesn't ask that question either. Are you a journalist or not? I mean, this is unbelievable. This is just a, a PSA, but a PSA that's a lie, that he just gives Dr. Fauci a chance to give the narrative. You know, Lester, like all these other journalists, are not interested in challenging the establishment. They're not interested in and pressuring them, they just, they don't do anything. I mean, it's, thank you for coming on the show. It's great to talk to you again, Dr. Fauci. This guy is responsible not only for destroying the economy in large part through lying, this guy is also responsible for death because he lied about the, the benefits of hydroxychloroquine. He said that that was dangerous, and now we know hydroxychloroquine saves lives, amongst other things that he never supported. This is outrageous. I mean, you know, as much as they say, you know, how does this guy sleep at night? How do these journalists sleep at night? You know, is there no thought when you go to sleep at the end of this, Lester? Maybe I should have asked him this question. Maybe you're just tired. You weren't prepared. I don't know. But that wasn't journalism, and that's embarrassing. That's embarrassing. That's not an interview. It's nothing. It's nothing. But you could be Walter Cronkite. You could. That would, that would be amazing, Lester, if you would go down that route and do the right thing. I'm so disappointed. But anyhow, let's, uh, let's keep on going, shall we? Let's move on. I want to hit you with some poetry here. You know, in, in 1776... The Founding Fathers made the revolutionary declaration that all men are created equal 
and that our rights are unalienable. This is the, the premise and subject of an article I'm working on. But that was revolutionary, because prior to 1776, throughout all of mankind's history, well, the notion, the amoral, false notion that our rights come from man, from kings, from emperors, from dictators, well, that was accepted. And the founding fathers threw that out. And they said, no, our rights come from our creator. We are free. You don't tell us what our rights are. They're unalienable. And that is the, what, that, that's what we call the great American experiment. But of course, of course, the great American experiment, the Constitution, all of that, well, it always was dependent upon a moral population and moral individuals who oversaw the experiment. And today, that American experiment has never been closer to failure. But it's not because the experiment is flawed. It's because you have amoral individuals who are sabotaging the American experiment. And, and, and COVID is what these people have used to subvert that belief, to regress this nation, America, back to a belief that our rights are no longer unalienable, unalienable, but they come from man, from government. That's what COVID is about. That's what COVID has done to this nation. That's what you have to understand and accept. It's about nothing less than that. COVID has been the means by which they have poisoned the American experiment, the means by which they have rapidly... Look, it's not that this decline just started in March of 2020. It's not that amoral men first came into power in March of 2020. I mean, I mean they've existed throughout American history. Sometimes they, they've been more successful than other times. I mean, the reason we had slavery for so long in this country was because of amoral men, people who were pro-slavery, who kept that amoral, vile institution in place. And then the Republican Party was born to confront, confront the issue of slavery, to say, no, black Americans are included in the Constitution. It says, we the people. We are going to risk our lives. We're going to fight. We're going to shed our blood and paint this fertile land red with our blood to right that wrong. And then we had a civil rights movement that resulted in the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and then subsequent other civil rights acts that abolished legal segregation, discrimination based on race, gender, etc. And the truth of the matter is, you know, America has always, I'll put it this way since I'm talking about poetry, because that's the kind of guy I am. I just wax poetic sometimes. Because that's authentic. It's not put on. But, you know, I, I, I say this about it. In 1776, we set sail from the harbor of despotism. And we set a new course for freedom. And for nearly 245 years, we've maintained that course. We've overcome our problems. We've overcome tribulations, trials. To continue to move forward and progress. But now that ex American experiment has been undone by the great un-American experiment. Some call it the Great Reset, whatever you want to call it. I call it the great un-American experiment, and that has been COVID. Because since March of 2020, in just a year and a half's time, it's still going on. It's not over because the Democrats won't have it be over, and some rhinos as well. 
Well, that un-American experiment, shutting down our businesses, telling us to mask up, telling us to wear two masks, telling us we can take off our masks, telling us to get vaccinated, telling us now we have to wear masks again. Well, the point of it is that our rights are no longer unalienable. They are subject to the whims of despots and American government. And the masks are nothing more than symbols of fear, symbols of subservience to the government. They're having a field day here, keeping this thing alive. This is a lie like January 6th is a lie. There is no more credibility to this continued proliferation of fear than there is to the continued proliferation that the January 6th insurrection is a continued threat to democracy. It is those who are sitting on the commission, the January 6th commission, who are threatening democracy, and it is those same people who are behind this COVID BS. I mean, every day now, right? The goalposts move. 15 days to slow the spread. Led to a year of lockdowns in the state of California where I live. We were told to get vaccinated. Those who got vaccinated are now being told that's not enough, that they have to mask up again, making up excuse after excuse, pulling it right out of their AWS. Oh, well, you know, people who get the vaccine have higher levels of the virus and they can pass. What? This is such a scam. They say the unvaccinated are the problem, but now they're saying, well, the vaccinated aren't protected. Now they're threatening that, well, you know, this thing's mutating to the point where vaccines won't even be effective anymore. This is, this is never going to end until the American people say enough, until the American people say, no, this is anti-American. You will not step on my constitutional rights anymore. In the name of health and safety, we're not giving you a damn thing. Nothing, not an inch. You despots aren't in charge. We're the master. You're the slave. You're our slaves. You're our servants. Enough. We're not sticking the masks on our face because you tell us to. We're not getting the vaccine because you tell us to. We're going to live our lives and you can go to hell. That's what the message has to be. And I, yeah, I sound angry, but this we should be angry. Can, can we put this in perspective? 1776, the American Revolution. I'm not calling for a revolution, by the way. Okay? Let me make that clear. But I want to give you context. 1776 was about rejecting totalitarianism. They went to war over the premise that King George III in England could tax them without representation, even though they were faced a a much lesser tax burden than, than their counterparts that actually lived on the continent there in England. And when King George III sent troops to seize the, ca- the, 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 the weapons, the guns, and the ammunition of the colonists, well, that's what set off the Revolutionary War finally. But we are less free today, I mean this, we are less free today than we were in 1776. Think about that for a second. Imagine if The patriots of 1776, those colonists, imagine if they were told 
that they had to wear masks on their face. Imagine if they were told they had to shut down their businesses because the government said so, because of an outbreak of a virus. Imagine they were told, just do it for 15 days and then it became a year. Imagine curfews were instituted against the colonists, that they could not leave their homes, like in California, between the hours of 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. for public health and safety. No. They would not have put up with it. They wouldn't have tolerated it. They would have ended it. But today, we don't have the perspective that they had because we've lived in freedom, whereas they had lived in slavery. We're soft. Our tolerance is too high, and it's been too high for too long. And when you give an inch, they take a mile. And that's what's happened here. Lincoln warned about the same thing prior to the Civil War. He said, you know, Americans will long suffer, essentially, under this despotism. But there comes a point where it's over. It's enough. And they won't take it anymore. Where are we, the American people, in terms of reaching our boiling point? How much more of this totalitarianism are we going to take and tolerate? That's a personal question for each American to ask himself or herself. But of course, Joe Biden made the first thing, first statement, surprisingly coherent, the only coherent statement he's made, that I also agree with when he said that America has not been so divided since the Civil War. Well, he's right, but I'll take it further. The circumstances we're in Well, they mirror the circumstances of our previous civil war. And that's why I say we're in a cold civil war now. Yes, it's not violent, but the circumstances and the choices are the same in terms of what what we're fighting against. You know, the difference, of course, is that the civil war was fought because slavery already existed and it was wrong. And so the Confederacy, the Democrats, fought to protect and defend slavery, which already existed, And the Republicans and the Union fought to abolish it. But today, we don't have slavery. I mean, yeah, we we, we do in many ways, but not like it was back then. My point is that we we have lived in a state of freedom. We've gotten past slavery and and the, the Civil Rights Act and all of that. And so slavery as an institution doesn't exist now. But the Democrats now are fighting to reinstitute the institution of slavery, But of course, one difference there is that it doesn't affect just black Americans. It affects every American. And we Americans who love freedom today, who are the equivalent of uh, Lincoln and the Union back then, well, we've got to fight to defend freedom, defend our way of life as it exists, not to abolish something. We have to prevent something from coming here. That's the difference. And what's interesting when I think about the Civil War is that those individuals who were largely whites who fought in the Civil War on the side of the Union to free the slave, their lives were not impacted by slavery. I mean, they were white. They weren't going to be slaves themselves. They actually sacrificed for somebody else. They could have just kept going along as it was. Didn't affect their lives. They were white. They, were, they, weren't, they didn't have to worry about becoming slaves. They could just keep going on as it was, but they were moral individuals who stood up and said no. Well, today it's different too because we actually have to worry about becoming slaves ourselves. So in some ways, the stakes are even higher. 
And so what are we going to do as we go forward? We know, I understand the media. I talk about it every time here. They're setting the framework and table to never let COVID go until they can replace it with something else because they're enjoying their power. They're seeing that they have achieved their ambitions that they've been trying to do for decades. This isn't new that the Democrat Party has been trying to do. And yes, there are rhinos involved. But the difference is the rhinos, you know, they're not tactical geniuses. They're not strategic geniuses. They're just stupid. They don't care. They're, they're in it for themselves. The Democrat Party is more sinister and vile still because they're the ones who are actively plotting to destroy this nation, actively plotting to reinstitute slavery across this nation and make it so that we are not free people anymore, that we're living under their thumbs, that our rights come from them and we have to do exactly as they say to get our rights. And that's why this vaccination battle is so important. Our rights aren't dependent upon getting the vaccine. And furthermore, the vaccine's irrelevant because, yeah, out of one side of their mouth, they say, you know, you've got to get the vaccine, which is totalitarian, totalitarian, by the way, and should be rejected. It's un-American. But they say, you know, the, the unvaccinated are the problem in America. And I said this on the show, you know, that just came out as well, you know. Okay, well, if 100% of Americans get vaccinated and the cases go up, it's not going to change anything because it's a false thing. The vaccination really isn't what stands in the way of, of us and freedom. It's us saying, hell no, go away. We're not going to take it anymore. Because now they're laying the groundwork again to set, to, to, to set the stage for another shutdown, regardless of vaccination status. Yeah, they'll have their scapegoats. They say the unvaccinated are the problem. But they're, they're saying now that it's, you know, we're, we're at risk of, of this virus mutating so that the vaccination doesn't help. And so then what are we going to do? We've got to shut down again for something that doesn't even affect most of the population. This is a scam, an absolute scam. And every American needs to rise up and say enough. The CDC comes out today and now recommends mask mandates or masking up in certain situations for, for the vaccinated. Don't wear your mask. That's what you can do. I don't understand the American mentality right now, how soft and weak we are to just go along with this crap. That's why I bring up the founding fathers. That's why I bring up Abraham Lincoln. And, of course, the Republican Party is a shell of its former self. It came into existence to fight slavery. And now many Democrats seem willing to just go along with the slavery. Talk about Kay Ivey, the Alabama governor, who's talking like a Democrat because she's being pressured by the media. Lester Holt, again, did a segment in which he reported that, well, Alabama has cases going up and they're not vaccinated enough. And so she's hearing this and she's freaking out instead of being a patriot. We have a bunch of weak-kneed, wobbly, feeble. Well, they're disgraces. We need strong men and women to stand up for the American people. And that's why this should be a central campaign issue. I'm so sick and tired of the Republicans just going along with the Democrat Party and the lies from the propagandist media, giving in to the pressure. They don't matter. The media is not reflective. What they say is not reflective of us, the 75 plus million people who voted for Trump. We're real. We exist. We're out there. You don't feel us because you don't search us out. You don't understand. You think the media and Twitter reflect the entire world. I'm trying to tell you Republicans, there are 75 plus million Americans who are begging you right now to get a backbone, get a spine, get some morality, get some perspective. Reach back into history and understand why you exist, why this Republican Party exists. We don't exist to just concede to the Democrat Party time and time again. We exist to confront them and defeat them. 
And we have to defeat them. The Republican Party, you Republicans are our political defense, our peaceful political defense against this tyranny. Now act like it. If you don't want to be in the army, get out. Put the pressure on them. It doesn't have to continue this way in perpetuity where you're always on the defense, where the, where the Democrat Party pressures you and makes you bend the knee to them. Make them bend the knee. Change your attitude. Play to win. Nancy Pelosi knows how it's done. Act like Nancy Pelosi. Just flip whatever she's saying, use different words, arguments against her, but don't step down ever. They're playing to win. But the stakes are freedom or slavery. Lincoln said it, of course. I don't expect this house to fall, but it'll become all, thing, all one thing or another. All free or all slave. And right now, well, we're trending towards all slavery. Where are the patriots? You Republicans are such a disgrace. The American people you claim to represent are yearning, begging you to come to their defense. I don't know why it's so hard to do. You're not being asked to run into enemy gunfire. What, you can't take criticism from the media? Can you imagine if Lincoln felt that way when the press came after him, the Democrats came after him, when they did those nasty, repulsive, disgusting, you know, ads and things about him, they attacked Lincoln? Can you imagine if he said, oh, ooh, the media's being mean. I've got to appease the media. You know, they don't like that I'm anti-slavery. So I guess I'll just kind of become kind of pro-slavery. We'll just keep slavery because, you know, I, I don't want to get attacked. I mean, you're so embarrassed. You're Americans. We are the greatest country on the face of the earth because of the people who have immigrated here, because of the people who are here, the people who love this country and understand how great it is. Why can't you understand that? Why can't you Republicans? I don't know. I don't get it. I really don't get it. You got me sitting here behind a microphone. You got Shapiro. You got... Matt Walsh, you got Daniel Horowitz, you got Mark Levin, you, you, we used to have Rush Limbaugh, all of us sitting here willing to take the slings and arrows of abuse. We're happy to tell the truth. We're here to support you. We're here to defend you. No one defends us, by the way. And we don't care because we do this because we love America. We do this because we love Americans. But you have no loyalty to us. None whatsoever. So put up or shut up. I mean, the way you talk about this vaccination crap is appalling. The unvaccinated are the problem, Kayavi says. They don't have common sense, you people keep saying. No, you don't have common sense. Kayavi? Mitch McConnell? Not only do you not have common sense, you don't have a moral bone in your body. America's burning. We've never been more divided since the Civil War. We're on the precipice of being annihilated, committing suicide, because that's how America's uh, uh, death was always predicted, even by Lincoln. You know? Our death will be by suicide. Period. And that's what COVID and these lockdowns have done to us. They're, they're com we're committing suicide. Just fulfill your constitutional duty to defend America, defend the Constitution. 
That's all. The Constitution's on your side. What you're doing is legal and lawful. If you defend us and defend the Constitution, come out against them. This isn't a time for compromise. This is a time for fighting. This is a time for brawling politically, ideologically. I'm no Maxine Waters. So anyway, we know what's in store for us. The Democrats are not going to give up on COVID. They're not going to give up on COVID. They're going to keep this fear porn campaign going until we say enough. They're going to use it in perpetuity as long as we allow it. And that's the responsibility we have to accept because, look, you know, the founding fathers, the colonists in 1776, well, they said they had enough. Abraham Lincoln, the Republicans, said they had enough. Things could have easily just continued as they were, trending towards totalitarianism and injustice. It's the same decision we have to make today. How long are we going to allow this to persist? It's really up to us, we the, we the people. I mean, we're the ones who give these people the authority when we mask up when they tell us to. When they tell us to lock down, we lock down. Where's the resistance? Where's the revolutionary spirit? Where's the passion and enthusiasm and love for America? I mean, you hear these, these P-U-S-S-Ys Yes, I can spell. I know. It's P-U-S-S-I-E-S. But whatever. I like saying P-U-S-S-Ys, all right? It just flows out better that way, all right? For any leftists out there listening, that's what they would hang on to. He can't spell. He's so dumb. Well, you're a P-U-S-S-Y. <laughs> there we go. Anyway, as we were, you hear these P-U-S-S-I-E-S, capital police officers, Think about the World War II generation for those of you who had parents, for example, or grandparents in World War II. Did they come home? Did they sit there and talk about how they sustained injuries in World War II? About how awful it was? How terrible it was? No. They didn't have such an attitude. They did what they needed to do. They did what was required of them. They stepped up. They answered the call. And that's what we have to do today. Answer the call unapologetically, without complaint without apology, and fight to, to preserve this union. We're going to do it. I hope this, um, well, these are the two fronts we're, we're battling on right now. But anyway, this is Drew Allen, and um, until next time.